So my guest today had a major wake-up call as a novice teacher, right? She's there with her students and, you know, there's a moment of insight and she asks the class, really, like, where else, right, are people told when to eat, when they can, you know, leave the room, when they can go to the bathroom and all that kind of stuff. And a kid, without even hesitating, tells the teacher, prison. And it was in that moment, you know, Dr. Glover realized, how am I aiding in this prison, the pipeline system? Or am I, right? Something she had to investigate. And it was very interesting for her and, and it changed the trajectory of what she did in education. And so now she does some really cool stuff that I think ruckus makers will love because she calls herself a disruptor. And her work uh, has to do with centering student voice. And you're going to love what we talk about today. Hey, it's Danny, Chief Ruckus Maker over at Better Leaders, Better Schools. And this show is for you, a ruckus maker, which means you invest in your continuous growth, you challenge the status quo, and you design the future of school now. And we'll be right back after some short messages from our show sponsors. Take the next step in your professional development with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Learn from Harvard Business and Education School faculty while you collaborate with a global network of fellow school leaders. Get started at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. With TeachFX, teachers are creating classrooms that are alive with conversation. Their app gives teachers insights into high-level practices like how much student talk happened, which questions got students talking. It's eye-opening for teachers and scales the impact of coaches and principals and ruckus makers. Start your free pilot today at teachfx.com slash BLBS. Why do students struggle? I'd argue that they lack access to quality instruction, but think about it. That's totally out of their control. What if there was something we could teach kids then? What if there was something within their control that would help them be successful in every class? And it's not a magic pill or a figment of your imagination. When students internalize executive functioning skills, they succeed. Check out the new self-paced online course brought to you by our friends at Organized Binder that shows teachers how to equip their students with executive functioning skills. You can learn more at organizedbinder.com slash go. Well, hello, Ruckus Maker. Today, I am joined by Dr. Glover, a servant leader committed to equity and inclusion. She's a former educator, administrator, human resource manager, and diversity, equity, and inclusion professional. In 2017, Dr. Glover earned her doctorate degree in urban education from Cleveland State University. With an emphasis on policy and planning, Dr. Glover has transferred her learning into reimagining the ways in which we socialize scholars, future teachers, and current educators. More recently, Dr. Glover self-published her first book, Centering Student Voice, a guide for cultivating emotionally intelligent educators in culturally responsive classrooms. She is the daughter of Joseph and Cheryl Glover. She has one brother, one sister, and is the mother of Kylan Richburg. In her spare time, she enjoys reading, traveling, and spending time with Dr. Glover. Welcome to the show. Wow, thank you, Danny. It's a pleasure to be here today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so I want to get to your equity story in a second, but I have to ask, because 
Uh, we're saving this live. It's January and the book is now out, right? Centering Senior Voice. And this, this will come out as a podcast, you know, months in the future too. So it's still available and ruckus makers should pick up Centering Student Voice. Uh, but how does it feel, right? That's your first book. It's out there in the world now on an important topic. I just want to check in with you. How does it feel? Yeah, um, that's a really good question because I remember receiving the author proofs and yeah. opening and like I almost cried. And I was emotional because I remember growing up wanting to be a professional basketball player, right? Yeah. I mean, I used to design my own shoes on paper and try to yeah. autograph everything. Sure. I never yeah. ever thought about being an author. And so okay. for that to happen in a way that was, for me, unplanned, that also in a way that connected back to my ongoing experiences, right? It was surprising, was uplifting, and very much close to just, you know, making space to honor my ancestors. When you have a book, there's something that lives beyond even your own years. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I'm really excited about the opportunity to even have it. And to, then to be able to self-publish in itself was pretty cool as well. Yeah. So I don't know if you know this, my, my wife, she's from Zimbabwe. And oh, wow. I'll often ask her, like, what's the recipe, right? Like, how do you cook it? They, I don't use recipes, Danny. She goes, I channel my ancestors. And I'm like, all right, that's cool. Yes. I'm going to try to do that too. What can give me the steps? Talk to me a little bit about that, though. You said like honoring the ancestors. What, what does that mean to you? Why is that important? Well, it really goes back to the, um, the why I'm here. And, and when I the why that without my ancestors, right, I wouldn't be here today. That's number one. Number two, it, also connected to the stories and the experiences, the lived experience that I've learned about my ancestors that leads me to this idea or notion of disrupting that I am doing today. And so there are some ancestors that have made their mark on this world in very various ways. And this is an opportunity for me to not really just leave my mark, but share something to my ancestors in the future to share a story and experience that is different than my, you know, what they are reading now. And I believe that we owe that to each other. I believe that we are connected to each other outside of space of true, you know, familial relationships. And so when I say honor my ancestors, I'm speaking to all of those who have dwelled in the space of disrupting abolitionists, you know, anything that really speaks to, you know, supporting the experiences providing opportunity and access of marginalized groups of people. Um, I understand that is why I am purpose to be here today. Great. And we're going to dig into that, this whole idea of Disruption University. I think that's very much aligned, you know, with the Ruckus Maker brand and vibe that we have as well. So can't wait to talk more about that. But let's let's go back. And I, I would just love to hear, you know, what is your equity story? Yeah. So been in education over 20 years. And when I began, I started out as a long-term substitute teacher. So I graduated from college, my degree in education, hadn't taken the test to pass to get a certification, right? So I'll never forget, I entered into the classroom where the teacher, I'm not sure exactly what the ending was, but it ended in the middle of the school year. And if you're in a space that you know that when something ends in the middle of the school year, there's something interesting. So I walked into a classroom and it wasn't the ideal, what a lot of people might define as the ideal classroom. My scholars were self-contained. So they were categorized as having an emotional disability. They were high school students and they were all reading and learning at, I mean, from third grade level all the way to 10th grade level. And um, I'll never forget the coordinator that supported me through the process of me being onboarded into the position. 
right before she walked out of the classroom, she looked at me and said, Erica, don't worry about anything else, but just build relationships, right? So I'm fresh, you know, out of college, just really, you know, passionate about the opportunity, not really understanding what that meant. So I did that, though. I always had really good relationships with my scholars. And there's one particular, every morning we read a quote, we applied the quote to what was happening in the real world, to their lives. And um, I was really intentional about that, right? So there's one particular, we read the quote, unplanned, not really even understanding why it happened at the moment that it did. But in my mind and out of my mouth popped out the words, you know what? You know what, y'all? Like, where else do you see people spending time in one place all day where folks are telling them when to go to the restroom, when they can eat, when they can have recess? And one of my scholars, and like, I, I, and I'm getting goosebumps thinking about how we sounded when he said prison. Yeah. So... It was at that moment that I be- that I believe my critical reflection and my current position was actually, in my opinion, um, supporting them in tor- towards a process of school to prison pipeline. Like I felt like I was helping them to practice being prepared for prison by being complicit and allowing them to be okay sitting in this space all day, being told when to go to the restaurant, being told, you know, all little things. And then it was at that moment that I started to even look at their IEPs differently. I'm like digging. I'm like, well, why is this young person in a self-contained? What could he have, he or she or they have possibly done, right, to be in a self-contained? It started to realize, in my personal opinion, it just seemed to be a consistent lack of sustainable relationships that built, that ended up influencing academics over time. And so it was at that moment that I realized that I could no longer be complicit, that I needed to push back against the systems that were in place. And he would say, you know what, you're going to be in a self-contained unit. Even the systems that are in place that allows my colleagues to say, no, they can't come into my classroom. So, um, you know, my scholars and I saw ourselves as us against the world in the building to some extent, because we were trying to prove everyone else wrong. And that was the beginning of me realizing not just the fight in the name of equity, but the lived experiences that many folks don't understand because it isn't them, you know? Right. It's an interesting leadership lesson too, for the ruckus maker to note, because the idea of us versus them is very motivating, you know, for people. Uh, so, you know, the GD can be interesting that you mentioned that. So I can imagine, you know, what that young student saying in the, the prison experience was a wake up call for you and, you mentioned through that story, right? You started to challenge the system. So what, what did that look like? Can you give us maybe some like practical or bring us to some moments of what it looked like to challenge? Absolutely. So very complex, right? And so when you talk about change mm-hmm. management, then you realize that complexity was complicated or two different things. And so when you talk about what is complex, then you begin to understand that there's no true genuine solution, right? And so I really tackled that from the space of, I wouldn't even say low hanging fruit, low hanging fruit. I thought about the networks that I did have. And so the administrator at the time when I was in the classroom was very supportive. And at the same time was like, Hey, you got to, you got, you have a problem bringing that solution. So it made me kind of think about and think through what this looked like. So I spent some time connecting to colleagues who I did have a relationship with. And I had to be very intentional about that, right? Like I needed to understand, I needed to know which colleagues were also very empathetic in nature, which colleagues kind of went out of their way or, you know, many of the scholars in the building 
because I also understood that my scholars were coming from a place, and I hate to even use this word, but it, you know, it rings true to me right now um, of needing to be deinstitutionalized. So, you know, they were going into classrooms expecting to have the Erica experience as an educator. And I was trying to prepare them at the same time, you know, how to navigate different types of classrooms. And so mm-hmm. there was distant meetings of the mind between myself and my colleagues. By the time that folks became or, you know, began to get on board through the way that we were celebrating the success um, and through the different ways that my scholars would actually appear or participate, then we were able to talk about, you know what, why don't you come into my classroom and we can coach you? So it went from a place of just kind of planning out conversations and ideas of, you know, this is what they need. And this, these are the ways that they will engage. And let's have conversations when they don't. Let's have a plan when they have an issue. And we put that in place and we followed that. But we, I think it was more, even more meaningful was to have a co-teaching experience. And when scholars didn't know who was the edu, who was the, you know, special ed teacher or who was the general ed teacher. And she sure. had to put that down on paper so that it was concrete. Um, and so that it was something that we could go back to and adjust. And then, you know, my, the administrator at the time wanted us to put something in place that was sustainable. So I wasn't the only self-contained teacher. Initially I was, but when the other person came, now we had a system that was disrupting another system that was perpetuating inequities that were already in place. That's a, yeah, concrete example too. Sort of like the ambiguity of, uh, which teaches general ed, which one's special ed, you know, we're all just teaching you and we have high expectations, that kind of thing. I'll never forget, you know, I taught many co-taught class and it is the system and the institution, the model. Often my colleagues just wanted me to teach. They wanted to help like, quote unquote, their kids sort of operate from the background. But, uh, you know, I had a lovely relationship with this guy, Eric, down in Champaign, Illinois. We also taught a very big fib to our students. Like we got along so well, right? We told them that we were brothers. Like even the faculty started to believe it too. <laughs> and we're like, oh yeah, it kind of was like, oh, the boy that card wolf, maybe we shouldn't told that lie. But he stepped up and he would teach. He would uh, grade the whole class and stuff. Like we took turns with that. But I, I think it, it elevated the whole experience for everybody involved and just so important. So thank you for highlighting that to do. So yeah, that's one way you challenged, you know, the system back then. Now you have Disrupt University. So what's Disrupt University all about? Yeah, so Disrupt University, like it actually comes from my um, research. So back when I went into, you know, when I was aspiring to learn more at the point of time I went, I didn't know it was about myself. But I was trying to, uh, I had a nonprofit and I was really looking at kind of, you know, looking at research aligned to the nonprofit. And it had taken some twists and turns into the space of, Black teacher identity. So what I was trying to understand for Black teachers who view themselves as being successful and their peers view themselves as being successful in urban settings, what are things that they are doing to support scholars in ways that are specific to the needs of the scholar? And so out of that, the you do a frequency count. And that's like the very minimum level of understanding data, right? Disruptor was the word that came up over and over and over. So when we talk about disruptor mm-hmm. university, is really about how do we disrupt the socialization of process, socialization process of scholars who are going to become educators, who are going to become the next whatever profession you want to fill in a blank with in ways that allows them to see the commonalities and differences in others as a way to sustain and leverage relations. When you think about what it means to be a 21st century learner or a 25th, uh, 25th century, uh, century educator and a global learner, 
All of those things really encompass how we are able to work across differences. And so understanding the lived experiences of the individual educators as a result of things that have happened. And here's an example. So I I interviewed an educator who experienced going to school before desegregation and after desegregation. And so to hear, you know, their experiences in their homes, their previous school to the new school was just mind-blowing, right? And then to hear how they were able to take those experiences and support scholars who are considered, you know, as living in the margin was even more, quite honestly, um, useful for even my own understandings. You know, I, I know you talk about ruckus making, but it gave me a different perspective of looking at what that really means because I haven't experienced the segregation to the extent that this person has. So um, Disrupt University is really all about like, well, how do we provide those intercultural experiences that are continuous in the space of ongoing learning so that we're looking across commonalities and differences of ways to develop authentic relationships? Brilliant. Well, it sounds really wonderful and I'm enjoying our conversation, Erica. We're going to get some messages in from our sponsors. And when we get back, I'm going to ask about a success story, right? At Disrupt the University, and then let's talk about uh, shuttering student points. Absolutely. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is proudly sponsored by Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. I know many mastermind members and many ruckus makers who listen to this show that have gone through the program and have loved the experience. But don't just take it from me. Let's hear how some of the Harvard faculty describe the impact and their heart for this program. Leadership is joyful work, empowering others to do their best work. Principals do that with teachers and teachers do that with students and empowering others to educate themselves or to be educated is just one of the most important things we can do in this world. Building, we're building people. We're building the next generation of leaders and educators. Learn more about the program and apply at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. You know what student engagement sounds like? Students ask questions. They build on each other's ideas. The classroom's alive with conversation. Creating that kind of classroom is much easier said than done. TeachFX helps teachers make it happen. Their AI provides teachers with insights into high-leverage teaching practices like how much student talk happened, which questions got students talking. TeachFX is like giving each teacher their own on-demand instructional coach to help them boost student engagement in learning as well as their own. It's eye-opening for teachers and scales the impact of every coach and principal. Ruckus makers can start a free pilot with your teachers today. Go to teachfx.com slash BLBS to launch a free pilot for your school. Again, start that free pilot by visiting teachfx.com slash BLBS today. As students progress through their K-12 experience, schoolwork only gets harder and more complex. Yet at the same time, students are asked to be more independent In their learning, young people struggling with executive functioning skills will fall further and further behind. The pandemic, let's be real, it's only made things worse. The remedy is found in equipping students with executive functioning skills. Our friends at Organized Binder have released a new self-paced course, and it teaches you how to teach these executive functioning skills and set up 
your students for success. Learn more at organizedbinder.com slash go and start setting up your students for success today. Again, that's over at organizedbinder.com slash go. And we are back with Dr. Erica Glover. We're talking about her disrupted university. She has a new book, which you should definitely pick up a copy. It's called Centering Student Voice. You can get it at centeringstudentvoice.com. And we're going to talk about the book in a second. But before we get there, do you have a, a case study, mini case study or a success story about Disrupt University or the PD that you offer schools, right? And yeah, what's an insight, you know, from said success story? Yeah. So one of the things I truly think is important to, there's a couple of things. Number one, as educators, we espouse oftentimes to be lifelong learners, right? And so mm-hmm. one of the things really push forward in the PD is how do you engage in your lifelong learning throughout the course of not just your career. This is personally and professionally. Sure. As long as we're alive, right? And with that being said, I was working with a group of educators and we were unpacking this notion of being seen, valued, and heard. And so from the space of what's happening to me as a result of systems and policies are in, that are in place and how am I being discounted or dismissed? And so we spent some time really unpacking, you know, when someone says they are, they feel like they're being seen, valued, and heard, what does that look like? You know, what are you see? What do you see? What do you feel? What are you experiencing? And we're also, we, we also spend time unpacking. So when you don't feel seen, valued, what does that look like? What are you experiencing? Yeah. And then what supports do you need that aren't there? What supports and ways of continuing your learning would you like to have that you don't believe that are in, pl- that are in place for you? And so, I mean, we spent about an hour really unpacking that. And for me as a facilitator, the goal was really for them to be able to not just connect with self, but now open your state yourself up for the space of understanding others within their lived experiences. And so from that, we pivoted to now, how are you collecting that same data for yourself? And it was really, really interesting to see how many people hadn't, right? Or to see how many people were able to collect some form of data from their scholars, but not actionalize it. So here in my seat as an educator, this is what I need you to do to support me. And I need you to listen. But how are we doing that the way, the same way for scholars and families? How are we being, how are we being intentional with what we want for someone to do for us in the same ways that we will want them to do, you know, that we will want them to be done for our scholars and our families? And so we were some, you know, I read some research at one point in time that talks about perspective is that I think his name is Warm Chavez. I may be saying it incorrectly, but perspective taking is the anchor of empathy. I really enjoy spending time with folks in that space, but I think it's also important to understand the need to not dismiss, which I'll talk about later, because when you're not dismissing, you're understanding that the experience is different. And so I had a lot of, you know, feedback from folks who were able to spend time and we did some other things prior to those questions, really thinking about self and reflecting on, you know, their own personal experiences and thinking about how they felt when their needs were met. That, oh, wow. So, yeah, this is happening differently to different types of people. And I, I need to know how they feel. They want to mm-hmm. be supported. You know, oftentimes folks talk about the difference between a golden rule and a platinum rule. So, like, yeah, how yeah. are we oh, the way that they want to be treated was really how we were centering our conversation. Got it. And you brought up this idea of, you know, the need to not dismiss. What's that all about? 
Yeah. So later, you, yeah, I know we have a question around what I'm going to put on my marquee. So, but, okay. um, so I go, you want me, can I, you want me to go ahead into that now or? You can do whatever you want. Yeah. It doesn't matter to me. So, yeah. I, I be, and it's happened to me, right? So I've shared mm-hmm. a story with a colleague. And the response back to the story in my lived experience was, oh, this happens to everybody. This happens to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And so, and this is when I was at HR. And so I was like, that was very influential in terms of me, you know, participating in my learn, my ongoing learning differently. And so what I will say is, listen, and I want to be slangish here or, or intentional. I listen without dismissing. And I think that oftentimes... We'll listen to fix, especially as administrators and supervisors sometimes will listen to fix instead of listening to first understand and then to not dismiss a person's experience because we haven't. And so I think it's important in a space of diversity, equity, inclusion, system belonging that you are listening to not dismiss, especially when you haven't had the experiences of others. Yeah, it's easy to discount women. So invalidating. Yeah. You really, oh, yeah. you really, as, as a leader, you know, I did a training on trust recently. Trust is boiled down to really solid relationships, good judgment, and consistency doing what you say you'll do. And if you're going to be dismissing people's experiences, you might as well just say, you know, I don't, I want a poor culture, right? I don't want people to trust me. Like, this is not going to be a fun place to work. So thank you for sharing that. Okay, so Southern Student Voice, yeah, it's out. And again, pick it up at southernstudentvoice.com and congratulations on publishing that one. You talked earlier about this idea of understanding yourself, right? And talk about this in the book, but I was understanding who I am as an individual helped me set the environment, right? To make quality connections with my students. Well, I think I would actually want to begin with answering that question to thinking about what, as a former administrator, pains that I've worked with teachers in understanding or trying to decrease. And I, I call them the three days, distraction that leads to disengagement, that leads to discipline, right? And so oftentimes people want the quick remedy. And at the center of that are those authentic relationships. And I don't mean relationships that occur as a default of you having a classroom because you're a teacher. I mean relationships that allows you to help scholars to be able to navigate the spaces that they're in in ways that helps them understand how to advocate for themselves. Now, going back to your question, it's in order to do that work, you have to understand how your experiences are different from your scholars. And right now, I'm just using the word scholars. Your experiences are different from your colleagues. Your experiences are different from your administrators. And so in the book, I'm really talking, you know, this idea, this notion of, well, who am I? How did I come to be? When I teach and how I teach, where did that come from? Where did I get that? And how did it support me in the way that I learn, but then at the same time, how might it be different and not support the scholar the same, right? Even when it comes to having conversations, um, when I'm frustrated, and this is why that notion of emotional intelligence is important. How am I reflecting on my triggers? What am I, you know, when you think about the ladder of difference and how I draw conclusions, what has happened that I'm selecting certain data to make a decision upon? And how do I go back and unpack that in ways that allows me to think differently but also be willing to learn differently. And so I think oftentimes we are working to adjust practices in the classroom, both as an educator or as a leader, we skip the importance of transforming that mindset. And so I spend a lot of time using my own personal experiences, being vulnerable to help folks understand exactly what I was thinking and how I was trying to pivot out of that moment. Got it. Thank you. And anything else you want to say about the book? Like, I guess the question I would ask is, what result 
do you anticipate the reader getting after going through your book? Their mindset's been shifted, given some practical, you know, resources and that kind of thing. But what, what result, you know, do they get? So there's, you know, conversations around the difference between allyship, advocacy, and activism. I believe that um, an educator who has read this book and would deem himself as being successful in the understanding implication of things that I share is you're moving into the space of advocacy or activism, right? You are reading and learning and understanding, but you're also doing something. Um, you're disrupting systems in ways that are marginalized groups of people. You're committed to ongoing learning and differently and you're becoming more culturally aware. You're moving from this idea or notion of being a monocultural or looking at things from a monocultural perspective in terms of just what you've experienced to understanding that folks see the world differently and learn differently. And as a result, I'm adjusting my practices in ways that are personalizing learning versus based upon what might be convenient for me or what I'm really used to. Yeah. And with, a, you know, students from everywhere, a diverse student body, which is yep. the reality of most schools. This will help you be yeah, a much more responsive leader and create more results for your community. So awesome. Thanks for doing the hard work. Getting, I don't know how you unplan a book. Like you get, it takes a lot of work, but I'm glad it's out in the world. And you mentioned you kind of riffed on the marquee question. So yeah. I asked about your dream school. So if yeah. uh, Dr. Erica Glover was building her dream school and you weren't constrained by any resources, your only limitation was your imagination. How would you build this school? What would be the three guiding principles? First guiding principle would be personalized learning that is actualized. Scholars at various ages would be able to choose their pathway for learning, not choose their career pathway, right? But choose their pathway for learning. Is it online? Is it hybrid? Is it PBL? Is it um, based upon inquiry-based learning? Like, what is it? And they'll be introduced. So they'll be able to make, you know, parents as well, decisions based upon what they're learning. But you're not stuck to it. If you want to shift and make a move in the next quarter or whatever have you, then that is an option. I would also focus on global learning, especially because scholars have access to technology that we didn't. And they are learning for folks across the country. So cultural awareness in different spaces would be another. And then I will recruit non-traditional educators. And I'm not saying just in a space of rap raw programs where you're being social workers or board certified behavior analysts. I'm talking about folks who have lived experiences but can make connections back to the content. I think oftentimes because the the way we professionalize education, we miss out on a lot of folks who are actually coaches and teachers already in the in, you know in the in the ways that they're existing. And then I will really dive into amplifying voice to action. The adjustments and practices that we have in place are based upon what we're hearing our scholars and our families saying. That policy would change based upon who we are serving, not based upon those who are developing the systems and the structures in place. And so those would be the principles of my dream school. And then obviously, if we have all the resources that we want, the compensation package and the amount of educators that we have in those spaces would definitely. Absolutely. Cool. Hey, we covered a lot of ground today, Erica. So of everything we discussed, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? Disrupting uh, takes courage, but it also it also is aligned to who you are and the unique difference that you bring to the world. And be committed to your uniqueness. Be committed to um, who you're supposed to be who you were called to be because you are solving a problem that no one else in this world can solve. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. 
If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.